If you have your Bibles with you, um, open up to Matthew chapter 9. Last week I mentioned how um, February 11th has been a significant day for me. Not only did Nadine and I start dating 32 years ago on February 11th, but um, in the years 2008 and 2009, God began giving me series of visions, 40 days worth of visions, beginning on February 11th. I'm not exactly sure why God's chosen that date, but it's become a real significant date for me. And as this February 11th approached, I could feel a stirring in the spirit. I could feel something coming. I could feel something building. You know what that's like? You don't always exactly know what it is, but you can feel it in your bones like God's about to do something. And and for the, the weeks leading up to this February 11th, I could feel in my spirit that same kind of stirring. So I want to thank all of you for, for praying for me. I asked for prayers last week, and I know that you did, um, and I really appreciate it. God was very kind, very gracious to me again. And beginning on this February 11th, he began to meet with me and show me things um, like he has in the past. Um, he's been very tender, teaching me things about truth and about love and and about faith. And I don't know exactly what this season will be like, but if it right now it feels very much like the last two years, 2008 and 2009. And if that's the case, then um, just like he's shown me stuff um, on the 11th, the 12th, the 13th, and today, the 14th, um, my expectation is that he'll continue to show me stuff for the next 40 days. At least that's how it's, it's gone in the past. And, um, and I'm, I'm sure that I will share with you um, some, some of the things that God's been revealing to me. Sometimes I just kind of need to process it, you know? And um, I feel like I'm kind of in that place of processing. Um, but maybe I'll just share a couple of little tidbits, all right, just to things that kind of make sense. I've talked about these experiences before. Maybe some of you have heard my stories. Maybe some of you haven't. God reveals himself to me. He reveals different aspects of himself. The scriptures speak about the seven spirits of God, right? Um, in Isaiah 11 and throughout the book of Revelation, it talks about the seven spirits of God, the, um, one of my favorite verses in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would know him better. So when God, when I have these kind of encounters, he visits me in the persona of one of these spirits. I've, I've had encounters with, with the spirit of revelation. I remember how eye-opening it was to me the first time. Wow, I never considered that the spirit of revelation might reveal itself to me in a form. But it's just one aspect of God. The same thing with the spirit of wisdom, revelation, the spirit of truth. Jesus said that he would send the spirit of truth and he'd lead us into all truth. And so I've had encounters with the spirit of truth. And um, and many other um, spiritual beings that seem to reflect the nature and character of God. I don't understand it all. I can't honestly even say I have a theology for it all. But I can tell you what I've seen and what I've heard. I've had these kind of encounters. Um, at one point uh, this past week, um, the spirit of truth was ministering to me. And 
the spirit of truth comes to, to me as a woman. I don't know why, but she has a, a feminine persona. There's neither male nor female in Christ Jesus, right? And she's ministering to me, and I know that her fingers are going into my mind. And she's removing these little splinters or these little thorns. And she said that they were the lies of men, words that men have spoken that have been stuck in me like a splinter or like a thorn. And as she gently removed them, I could feel the tug all the way down to my heart. And I was wondering, how could such a small thing have such a deep root? And I realized that that's what's happened in my life from season to season. Words are spoken, and they have a huge impact on me. And not only are they stuck in my mind, but they've made a, a root all the way down to my heart. And one by one, she was removing them, and I could feel the tug on my heart as it was being released. And there was like flashes of light that happened. And, and in truth said to me, she said, specks become logs like sparks become wildfires. Hmm. Specks become logs. You know, like the speck in your eye, right? But we think a speck could be a, a log in our eye. That specks become logs, like sparks become wildfires. Sounds important. It told me not to be afraid, because truth would set me free, and my mind would be renewed by the washing of the word. That was pretty powerful on the, on the 11th. Hmm. And then uh, on the 13th, I had, had an encounter with Faith. Faith presented himself to me as a very tall, very slender man and revealed to me that, that faith is simple. Faith isn't complicated. He said, faith is simple like a walk in the park. And that the evidence of real faith is peace. I never considered that before. The evidence of faith is peace. When real peace is present, when real faith is present, there's peace. And it's also that faith was fun, like children playing. Matter of fact, at one point, I'm with this spiritual being who introduced himself as faith, and we're walking through a park, and I see a bunch of children playing on monkey bars and swings. And he looked at me and said, that's faith. And then all around the playground, there are adults, and they're busy on their laptops and smartphones. And he looked at me and says, that's not faith. I was like, wow. And then as we walked along, he reached up into the sky. And it's as if he, as he reached up his hand, there's like a compartment would open up in this beautiful blue sky. And he'd reach out and he'd grab whatever was necessary and pull it back down. And he said to me, this is faith. And he reached up. It's like one compartment like it had treasure in it. Another compartment had people in it. Another compartment had like, like I, I can only describe it as healing. It kind of more looked like body parts. And he'd reach up and he'd grab something. And he'd look at me and said, this is faith. And then next one, effortlessly. And as he'd reach up, the compartment would open. As he pulls his hand back, the compartment would close on the sky. And he'd say, this is faith. The faith was easy. It was like a walk in the park. The faith was fun. I never, 
thought of it that way before. And I don't fully understand it, and there's lots more to the story, but that was pieces of it. God woke me up early this morning. And I, should, I guess I should tell you that before any of these encounters, it seems like what God's done lately is that worship is part of it. But spending time meditating on his word is huge. I, I probably spend an hour, maybe more, an hour and a half, just meditating on the word. Doing scripture study just takes me deep into the word. And then at some point, things kind of switch, and we go from that to meditation. And he takes me to places in the spirit. And maybe, maybe I'll spend 45 minutes or an hour in, in the spirit. So today I met someone who introduced himself as a spirit of counsel. And I know that the spirit of counsel is one of the seven spirits of God listed in Isaiah 11. And, um, and he was really, really intense. <laughs> spirit of counsel was very, very intense. When he shook his hand, his hand was weighty. It was, like, it was like it was made out of like some heavy metal. Firm, firm grip. I was like, whoa. I said, I remember just being introduced and shaking his hand, I trembled with the fear of God. I could barely stand. And so he tells me to sit down, and he begins to speak to me. I'm thinking, cool, I'm going to get the counsel of God today, you know. But as he opened his mouth, <laughs> the words came out, and I couldn't understand the words. Because it wasn't just words that was coming. You know, like, you listen to me, and you listen to each word I say, you listen to my full sentences. But when the spirit of counsel spoke, it, was, it, was, it wasn't just like listening to a word at a time or a note at a time. It was like listening to a chord at a time. Not just one singular note. Even more than that, it was like listening to the full sound of a massive orchestra when he would open his mouth. And not only would I hear this full sound, but the words would come out in, in color, and it would be like a ribbon that flow, would flow out of counsel's mouth. And the best way I could describe it, and I know this doesn't do it justice, it's like a rainbow that was coming out of his mouth, but the rainbow was sheet music. And the words were like the notes of the sheet music. Is that even coming close to some kind of description? And it would flow out like a rib, ribbon of light. And it would enter into my heart. And it stayed there for a while. And so... Whatever the spirit of counsel was communicating to me, he was bypassing my mind and just speaking to my heart. And at one point, this light was building up, this rainbow or ribbon of sheet music of words welled up in my heart and then came out of my eyes. I could see light coming out of my eyes and back into his eyes. And then out of his mouth and back into my chest. And then from there, out of my mouth. And I realized... I think this is important. There's some progression here. That first I have to receive it with my spirit. Then I have to see it with my spiritual eyes. And then I have to understand it. And then when I speak it, there'll be an explosion of the weight and the light and the power that's on the words of the spirit of counsel. So it's pretty cool. It's been pretty cool. I am. Um, I'm enjoying the process. I don't have. I bet you I, I've got one percent understanding. But I share with you because I told you this was going to happen, and I don't want to not share with you. 
Um, but I ask you, please keep praying for me because I suspect that more is coming. And um, it really feels like God. So anyway, if you're opened up to um, Matthew chapter 9, the title of today's message is Holding Ground or Taking Ground? Holding Ground or Taking Ground? And um, I want to take a look at Matthew chapter 9. It's only 39 verses, uh, 37 verses. And I'd like to read the whole chapter for the sake of context. So would you just kind of bear with me? I know the training I had, you don't read that much to a person because they kind of lose them in the middle. But I know Jesus does a lot of stuff in, in Matthew chapter 9, and it just seems like it'd be worthwhile to read it to you. So why don't you guys follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. I'm using a new international version. Verse 1 begins, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Um, he said to the paralytic, Take up your mat and go home. The man got up went home. The crowd saw this. They were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to men. In verse 9, Jesus calls Matthew. He says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man, Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. I mean, I just can't help but comment here. You know how amazing this is? Matthew is in the tax collector's booth, okay? Matthew's not a good guy, okay? He's, he would not get voted in on the church council in any church, okay? He probably belongs in prison, Tax collectors were not good guys. And Jesus makes him one of his disciples. He becomes an apostle. Jesus meets him where he's at and says, you follow me. His ways are not our ways, guys. I mean, every time I read the scripture, I'm reminded yet again that his ways are not our ways. Nobody would make Matthew the pastor of that church. He would never, he would never get through the search committee. right? Jesus says, follow me. And he does. Verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Of course there were many tax other tax collectors and sinners. This is who Matthew hung out with. This was his buddies. Jesus has dinner with these guys. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy or need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Verse 14, then Jesus' disciples came to him. How is it, excuse me, then John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples came to him and asked, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but you and your disciples do not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them. 
The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Jesus, after this, Jesus heals a woman and raises a little girl from the dead. He says, while he was staying... While he was saying this, okay, in the midst of that conversation about the wine and the wineskins with John's disciples, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has died, but come and put your hands on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I'll be healed. When Jesus entered the rulers, Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. This is the woman who touched his cloak. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Jesus is having a busy day. Can you you get the... When Jesus entered the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and noisy crowd. He said, go away. The girl's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout the whole region. Verse verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked him, Do you believe? Let me say that again. Verse 28. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed, and could not talk, was brought before Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. And the end of chapter 9 ends with, these couple of verses. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogue, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Help me today. Help me to communicate your heart to your people. So, in chapter 9, Jesus got a really busy chapter here. And the way it's written, it sounds like um, it's a description of a sequence of events that went from event to event to event. 
It's not like this happened over days or weeks. This, I get the impression from my rendering of the text that it's happened over hours. So we see in the chapter that Jesus heals a paralytic after a boat trip. He has a theological debate with the teachers over the Lord, uh, of the law over his methodology of healing, basically that he would forgive sins. He calls Matthew, a tax collector, collector, eats dinner at Matthew's house with all of his sinner friends, has another theological debate over his actions, ending with, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. He raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, heals the woman with the issue of blood, heals two blind men, delivers a demonized mute man, and heals him so he could speak. And he ends the chapter with saying that the chapter ends with saying that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Jesus announces that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But in the middle of all of this, in verses 14 to 17, right in the middle of this chapter, Jesus has a discussion with John the Baptist's disciples. Now, John the Baptist's disciples would represent the last move of God. Jesus and his disciples would represent the present move of God. And so there's a theological debate going on. How come, John's disciples want to know, we fast, just like the Pharisees, but you and your disciples don't. I think they're looking at this feast that's probably going on in Matthew's house and thinking, hey man, I like some of that stuff, you know? I bet you the feast in Matthew's house probably looks like the potlucks that we throw here, right? Lots of food. And John's disciples are thinking, I want in on this. But Jesus' response to them is interesting. Right in the middle of chapter 9, he says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, but a patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Could it be, in Matthew chapter 9, that Jesus is modeling for us not only the new wine, but the new wineskin? Could it be? All the things he did. John Wimber used to say, not just the demonstration of the kingdom, but the proclamation of the kingdom. Combining the two together, making them one. I think chapter 9 is a, is a model, if you were, of the new wineskin and the new wine. So, just kind of hold on to that. So, some of my recent messages, I did that whole series on the book on Christian, right? We did a group discussion one Sunday on why church? Why do we do this thing called church? We had that video not long ago by Phyllis Tickle on the, on the Great Emergence. I thought that was a great video. I just really enjoyed I'm reading her book now, The Great Emergence. And she writes like she speaks. It's, it's a good book. Got to love them old Episcopalians. You know? Some of the activities that we've had around here since Nadine and I showed up. We've done most of the streams courses. And we've done book clubs on some interesting material like the shack and unchristian. We're doing currently this prophetic evangelism workshop. 
I have some, a variety of guest speakers, friends of mine coming in. Are you recognizing a theme? <laughs> I lead with a decidedly outward focus. Is that honest to say? There's, and not only that, but I've structured training for us from that perspective. Now, I know that this has been difficult for some of you. I'm, I'm aware. And I want to talk a little bit today about maybe why it's been difficult, at least some of my thoughts on it. So we had a snow day on Wednesday, right? Most, a lot of people were shut down. We had, I don't know, what is it, 13 inches of snow here in Suffolk County? Seemed like more than that felt heavier than that trying to shovel it. But um, it was a good day for me to, to kind of stay inside and ponder and think. And I like to ponder and think. And sometimes when I ponder and think, I, I put my thoughts up either on Twitter or Facebook. I think some of you guys follow me. And so I wrote this on Wednesday. This, this was my ponderings, my thoughts. I wrote that there's a difference between holding ground and taking ground. There's a difference between being home and being on the front lines of the battle. Then I wrote, hmm, thinking. So that's how I've been thinking. And along with my thinking, I've been doing some reading. I guess I have a pretty significant online presence because not only do I post regularly on Twitter and Facebook, I also maintain a blog I've done for years. And when I find something that I think is unique and speaks to me, I like to put it up there. And so I posted an article by Don Williams on my blog. My blog's called Emancipation of the Freed. Um, you can find it online. And I posted an article by Don Williams called Radically Rethinking Church. I like Don Williams. Some of you guys may know who Don Williams is. He, um, he's a Ph.D. from Columbia University as well as Union Theological Seminary, and he was the founding pastor of the Coast Vineyard in La Jolla, California. Back in 1985, when I was first introduced to the vineyard, Don Williams rocked my world. Okay? I went to a conference in Ashland, Ohio. It was the first time I'd ever seen John Wimber. I'm thinking, man, this is Santa Claus with a Hawaiian shirt on. That's what, playing the keyboard. I'm thinking, I like this guy. So we're at this conference, church growth in the kingdom of God in the 90s. I still have the binder somewhere, I have no doubt. And one of the afternoon sessions, Don Williams is the main speaker. And as this guy gets up to speak, and he looks like the stereotypical... Um, absent-minded professor. Everything he wore was wrinkled, okay? <laughs> he had a white shirt on, it was buttoned, and the one side was tucked in, and the other side wasn't. I'm thinking, who is this guy? But then he began to speak. And I can't even remember the topic anymore, I'll be honest with you. But what I do remember is at the end he prayed. And when he prayed for the Holy Spirit to come, it was like I got hit in the chest. Oh my goodness. It was unbelievable. I was just overwhelmed by the presence of God. And as he's speaking, I could, I could feel this groaning stirring in my belly. 
And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this groan is going to come out. I don't really want it to come out, but I think this groan is going to come out. And if this groan comes out, everybody around me is going to think I have a demon. I don't want them to think I have a demon. That's what I was thinking. Well, this groan came out, and it wasn't a demonic groan. It was the groaning of the Spirit. And fortunately, all the people around me were sensitive enough to God to know that. And they all laid their hands on me, and they prayed for me. And it was a really powerful time. So when I see something by Don Williams, I remember him. It gets my attention, and I want to read it. So he wrote this article called Radically Rethinking Church. And it was about a conversation he had with a gentleman named Alan Hirsch. He's an author of multiple books, a leader, and a real outside-the-box thinker. So I like him already. By the way, Don Williams has a website called Kingdom Rain. You can find it at kingdomrain.net. This guy, Alan Hirsch, has a very cool website. Graphically, one of the neater ones I've seen in a while. And it's called theforgottenways.org, if you like to look up that stuff. Well, this article struck a chord with me, this radically rethinking the church article. It stuck a chord with what I had posted on Facebook the other day about holding ground or taking ground. By the way, this is a side note. If you're looking for something else interesting to read, you can go to kenwilsononline.com. And he has a really neat article also called Advice to Young Pastors. The ground is shifting beneath your feet. Very good article. He's basically talking that change is at hand. The church is changing. It's the great emergence that Phil Stickle talked about the other day. That's a side note. But here's a quote from Don Williams' article, this Radically Rethinking Church article. This is a Don Williams quote. So He says, There must be a fundamental return to the New Testament church and a consequent change in priorities. This begins with the surrender of the, with the surrender of the traditional church model, which is Christology produces ecclesiology, which produces missionology. In other words, Christ comes, builds his church, which then moves out in mission. The New, Testament, the New Testament church model must replace this. Christology produces missionology, which produces ecclesiology. Or, Christ comes and moves out in mission, and then creates communities to serve that mission. This produces church structures... This produces church structures which are flexible, organic, relative, and accommodating to the changing cultural context of mission. The missional church forms communities within the social fabric of those it is trying to reach, which are relative to that fabric. Are you still with me? Let me sum it up. <laughs> Profound statement, okay? Profound statement. He's saying that there's two models described here. The first model is that Jesus builds his church and then the church goes out and in, in its work of mission. The second model is that Jesus sends us on a mission and community is created to serve that mission. 
radical differences. I fear that we've created communities, we meaning the whole church, we've created communities that are just self-sustaining. They're missionless. The communities exist so that the community can exist. And most churches find themselves in that boat. We just try to take enough money to pay this week's bills. Right? I think that's what it's evolved to for most of us. We've lost this sense of what our, what's our mission. Our mission is more than just being self-sustaining. It has to be. Otherwise it dies. Everybody here, you're all familiar with Proverbs 29.11. You got a little card somewhere. It's stuck in the Bible. It's on a magnet on your refrigerator. We all have it, right? It says, without a vision... People perish, right? We've all heard that one. Different translations say that instead of vision, it says prophetic vision. Or it says without revelation. You know, the people throw off restraint. The people perish. What that's speaking of here, that word vision, without a vision, it is speaking about prophetic revelation. The ability to see what God's doing. Or more accurately, to be able to receive divine direction from God. Mission purpose. God, what are you doing? (laughs) Now let's go do what you're doing. Without that, the people perish. Without that sense of mission, then we just become self-sustaining communities. And those communities can last for a while. They can last for a really long while. But eventually they die. History proves that. Throughout Long Island, I'd be willing to bet that there are structures, there are monuments, church buildings, that are monuments to what God had once done. And there were days when those buildings were filled with people. But they're not anymore. And if an autopsy was done in all of those congregations, I would bet somewhere along the line, they forgot their mission. They forgot why they were there and just became focused on being self-sustaining. So, I want to ask you some honest questions today, and I'd like you to consider your honest answers. What do you want? Really, what do you want? You know, I realized, I was thinking about it this morning when I woke up, you guys really didn't have any voice in me coming here. A lot of you have been together for 10 or 15 years in this congregation. And then, you know, I was just kind of thrusted upon you. I'm kind of glad about that. I wonder if you are or not. <laughs> but you really had, you're, you've discovered after the fact. It's kind of like an arranged marriage, right? And you discover who, <laughs> who your husband is later on, you know? He's kind of bald. He's kind of cute. I think I might like this, but I'm not really sure. And it's only after the fact you're kind of getting used to who I am and how I think and how I do things. And it's, you know, what would Scott say? It's Scott Evelyn. It's scary wonderful, right? I know that. I understand that. I feel that. So I ask you, what do you really want? Do you want a community church that has primarily a pastoral emphasis? 
Is that really what you want? It's okay if it is. But know in your own heart if that's really what you want. Or do you want something else? Something like a mission. Do you, like I put on Facebook the other day, do you want to hold ground or do you want to take ground? Would you rather be home or do you want to be on the front lines of the battle? Let me say it another way. Do you want to be a, a come church or a go church? Do you want to be a come church or a go church? A come church says, and it's usually on everything they, they print or their website, everything. It says, come and worship with us. Or do you want to be a go church? A church that goes and makes disciples of all nations. Which would you rather be? Options are out there. We could be either one. You want to be a, a come and join us church? Or go and make disciples church? We can, we can hold on to what we have. Or in faith, we can reach out for something new. Uh, listen to my heart. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not making any ultimatums or threats. I want you to think. I want you to really think. I want you to think from your heart. I want you to know what's really in there. It'll help a lot if you do. I really believe God's doing a new thing. It might be fair to say that God's always doing a new thing. But I'm aware of the fact that he's doing something new. I don't fully understand it all, but I feel like for us as a church, God's doing something new, but I think for the whole church, and I listen to, to people like Phyllis Tickle, and she's talking about these 500-year cycles that we go through. I think we're in the midst of that. I think the whole church is in the midst of transition. Some guy, Mike Smith, put on Facebook the other night. I think it was Mike. He said, he said transition means, I don't know where I'm going, but I can't stay here. <laughs> right? I think that's where the church is. It's like we just can't stay in this place anymore, even though we don't completely know where we're going. It's an Abraham kind of thing. Go that way. Yes, Lord. God's pouring out new wine. Can our skins contain it? Can our skins contain the new wine? And here's another. Or are we more content with the old wine? Is it okay to resist the new and stick with the old? Well, you know, this whole wine and wineskin thing, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus elaborates a little bit more, and he says, no one after drinking the old wine wants the new for he says the old is better. The old wine's better. It's better because it's more mature. It's settled. It tastes better. We're more accustomed to the taste. The new wine's volatile. It's not fully mature. It needs a new wineskin that's flexible because it's fermenting. It's in process. So maybe you've been drinking the old wine for a long time and you're thinking, I like this vintage. I got cases of this stuff. I share it with all my friends. 
I do too. I, I, there's an old wine I really like. I was listening to some old Christian songs just the other day. I kept posting YouTube videos of Phillips, Craig, and Dean and, and uh, Newsboys, the Newsboys. Oh, my goodness. Talk about retro, right? But, man, some of these things, the life on it, there's some of the old wine that tasted good. It was ministered into my heart, taking me back to places where God had really ministered to me. So if God's offering new wine and we prefer the old, does that make us evil? I don't think so. But remember this. When you choose for one thing, you choose against the other. If you prefer the old wine, it means you don't get the new wine. It's not because God's stingy or evil. He doesn't want to burst your wineskin. He doesn't want to destroy you and have the wine wasted. So I think I walk in primarily two different giftings. I walk in a prophetic gifting and a pastoral gifting. I think the pastoral is stronger than the prophetic, but it kind of does this. So this means I can see the new thing and feel your pain in letting go of the old thing all at the same time. That's what the mix of the two gifts are. I can see the new thing, and I can feel your pain in trying to let go of the old. I really do. It also means that I can see the new thing, and I can lead you into the new thing if you're willing to let go of the old thing. In my heart, I believe God's doing a new thing. I don't know exactly what it looks like. I really don't know. It's an adventure. It's a mystery in many ways. I know it's not what we had yesterday. And I know it's not this. It's new. When Nadine and I were in Birmingham, Alabama at the Association of Bridge Churches Pastors Conference, I was uh, twitting quotes, John Paul Jackson quotes from the conference. And you guys see those while I was away? A couple of people? One of the messages he had out, I thought was great. It was, it was the emerging church. It was a really excellent message. Here's some of the quotes that I had tweeted from there. He says, emergence from chaos, God's plan will be revealed. That's what it means. From chaos, God's plan will be revealed. John Paul asked this question, is there a place in scripture, scripture where God promises that he's going to do a new thing that chaos does not occur before the new thing? Right? Chaos covered the water. And God did a new thing. You don't think it was chaotic as Jesus walked? Matthew chapter 9 is chaotic. Just try to keep up with him that day. It certainly messed with the heads of the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and John's disciples. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not how we do things around here. Right? So he would do things, he would demonstrate the kingdom, and have theological debate. He'd demonstrate the kingdom, have a theological debate. 
is because they were having a hard time with the new thing. It was chaos to them. This is John Paul Jackson. He says, God doing a new thing is God annihilating and replacing the old thing. Ow. <laughs> Another quote. He says, chaos is needed when tradition becomes equal to Scripture. John Paul's one of the most quotable men I know. <laughs> and he had a couple of things to say about passion and administration. He says, men who lose their passion will allow administration to rule. Isn't that true? When we lose passion, we'll just create rules and regulations. We'll just create structure around it. It's at least the, at least the organization will function. But I got no passion anymore. But I can follow the rules. Men, trust me, as a reformed... <laughs> As a reformed administrator, as a reformed, melancholy, you know, in-the-box kind of guy. I like boxes because it gave me control. I think I've told you this story. When I first got to Washington, the first thing I did was come up with my five-year plan. That's what John Wimber said we were supposed to do. I came, we were there six months. I worked hard on this five-year plan. And I came up with this whole organizational chart. It had boxes in it. It had lots of little boxes. And all the boxes on this side and the boxes on this side, they all intersected and worked together. It was a great plan. It was so structured. It was so organized. And I think God just laughed in heaven. Because <laughs> right after we finished that, God sends Bob Jones and Larry Randolph and guys like John Paul Jackson, they were nowhere on my five-year plan. It was just proof, once again, that Tom Zawacki, that his ways are not my ways. So my little boxes go out the window. But when we lose passion, when we lose passion for God, when we lose passion for the kingdom, when we lose passion for what he's doing, it's easy to fall on administration. John Paul said, men who lose their passion will allow administration to rule. And then he said this, men without passion who are ruled by administration will try to administrate those with passion. So not only do I want to now, I've lost my passion, so I want to have structure for my life, I want to structure everybody else's life. Or as a pastor, I want to have lots of rules and regulations. And John Paul made this statement. He says, we will not be shackled by tradition. Change, this is his last quote, last John Paul quote. He said, change is life. Change is life. I want to lead you into that new thing. I do. I want to lead you into a new thing. But this is what I don't want to do. I don't want to drag you kicking and screaming into a new thing. That's not fun for me. Surely it won't be fun for you. I don't want to do that. I told you when I first got here, I can barely control me. I surely don't want to control you. Even if it means doing a new thing of God. I'd like to lead, and I'd like you to follow so, so I've been here for like nine months now. So I think this is in the back of most of your minds. I think either maybe you haven't had the words to articulate it like I have this morning, but you've at least had a sense of, man, Zawacki's changing lots of stuff around here, and I don't know, I kind of like some of it, I kind of don't like some of it, you know. Kind of like Tom, Nadine is really fun to be with, but 
I don't know if I like all the change. I can feel that. I understand. <laughs> I'm trying to give some language to what we've been experiencing as a community. So it's been in the back of your minds. What I'm doing this morning is bringing it to the front of your mind. Letting light shine on it. I believe, I honestly believe that the bridge Long Island can survive for years as a nice community church with a primarily internal focus. I think this church can go on for years that way. Or we can risk, we can venture forth into the unknown and maybe, just maybe, do something amazing. Maybe. So what I, what I want you to do is this. I want you to process for yourselves. I thought about how to, how to end it at this point. It's like, well, I could hand out little slips of paper and people could write on it and put it in an envelope and hand it in. And, or we could have, I could pass around a microphone like we've done before and have a dialogue. But I felt like both of those would be artificial. I'd probably get a very positive response, initial positive response from most of you guys. And I don't want that. What I want is something much more authentic. And so what I'd like is this. I want you to think. I want you to process. I want you to give serious consideration to just this one question. What do you want? Do you want to be a nice community church that's primarily pastoral and focused and primarily concerned about meeting the needs of those who are here? Do you want that? That is an option. Or what you would really prefer is taking a risk, venturing forth into the unknown and doing something wild and crazy that just really might be God. Having some type of mission that has a primarily outward focus. Just kind of felt like I've been leading us in this way, but I and I've just done it. I've never really asked your permission, and I've never really asked what you want. I think it would be good if I knew what that is. But I don't want to know right now. <laughs> I don't even necessarily want to know today. But I want you to know. I want you to know in your heart what you really want. Can both coexist together? Yes and no. But one has to be primary and the other has to be secondary. And I think you need to settle in your heart what you want. And at some point along the way, would you let me know? Send me an email. Pull me aside. Slip a note under my office door. Call me up. Send me a message on Facebook. <coughs> to help you in that process, I would encourage you to read the article I posted on my blog. Read the Don Williams article. It'll be fueled for thought, food for thought, to consider it. So is that cool? Right. Hear my heart today. I really want to come to you as a father and say, um, we have the opportunity to do something new and different. Does the family want to do this? As opposed to just you know, being the taskmaster at the front of the line saying, it's my way and no way. Okay? 
I'd like, I'd like everybody to come on this journey. But I don't want you to come on it if you don't want to come on it. I really believe in freedom. <laughs> it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So let's pray. I don't know if you guys have ever really heard a sermon like this before. I'm not sure I've ever preached one like this before. But it felt like the Father's heart. Lord, help us. I pray that you would speak to your people. These are your people. You speak to your people. Reveal your heart to them. Reveal your heart for them. I pray for everyone here, oh God, that you would remind them how priceless they are to you, how precious they are in your sight, how extravagant your love is for them. Do it, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would know the truth, reveal truth, just like you picked those slivers, Lord, of the lies of men out of my mind and detached it from my heart earlier this week. Would you do the same thing for my friends? It was so freeing. Would you let them experience the same thing? Lord, I ask for the spirit of truth to come. So we would, we would be free and we'd walk in truth. So Lord, where there have been the words of men that have been stuck in us like slivers and thorns and they've wrapped themselves around our hearts, would you gently reach in and remove them like you gently reached in and removed them from me? Do that, Lord. Lord, I ask that your favor would rest on this church. I ask that your blessing would rest on it. I pray that we would be a people who know you and that we'd be a people who live love. Inside these four walls and outside. Do it, Lord. I pray that we'd live love. Now, Holy Spirit, come. Well, actually, show us this morning what you want to do. Show us what you want to do. I kind of feel like there's life in the Spirit on that whole pulling out the slivers, the words of men that have been stuck in us. could be women. The words of men is the way it was described to me, that have been like splinters in our mind. And it's been uh, attached all the way down to our hearts. If, if you feel like, hey, boy, that describes where I'm at, or that's me, I really would invite you to come forward today. I feel like there's some authority to pray for you and help bring some freedom, and I'd love to be able to bless you um, with that today. So if that's you, would you come forward and I'll, I'll pray for you? John, can you put on some... Appropriate music, buddy. Why don't you guys just line up front here? Is there anybody else? You feel like there's been you know words that have been spoken and they're like splinters in your mind and they're just kinda they've created pain in your heart. And you'd like those splinters to be removed. If that's if that's you, I think there's um Life in the Spirit for you today. Now the rest of you guys, did you just focus on God right now? Just press in.
Oh, it's most of the church. So maybe that was God. You know, why don't you guys hold hands? And the rest of you are sitting there, would you just play the role of intercessor? Would you play the role of intercessor? Just stand in the gap for, um, for your friends. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Lord. Lord, come and do what only you can do. Come and do what only you can do. Do it, Lord. Come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Be free. It is for freedom. He set you free. Receive the fullness of that freedom in Jesus' name. Lord, just remove the splinters. Just take them out, Lord. Take them out. Be free. Be free. Be free. Be free. Be free, Lord. Lord, ask for the spirit of truth to come and be present. You said that you would send the spirit of truth and you'd lead us into all truth. Spirit of truth, come. Lord, ask for the freedom. manifestation of freedom that's a result of the presence of the spirit of truth make it so God do it Lord do it Lord Lord I pray that you would replace the lies with truth replace the lies replace them Lord, I pray you not only remove them, but you bring healing. Be free in Jesus' name. Lord, bring healing. Lord, I pray for restoration by the renewing of our minds. Restoration comes. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who have the mind of Christ. That your thoughts would permeate our thoughts and transform our thoughts into your thoughts. That we would think the way you think. That we'd see the way you see, O God. That we have your understanding and your perspective. Do it, Lord. Holy Spirit, come gently, tenderly, reach in with your hand. Remove the those splinters, those thorns, those lies from these minds, oh God. Remove them. Lord, I pray that the hearts will be released and free. Pray that they would know the truth, and the truth would set them free. They'd walk in the fullness of truth. 
for your favor and blessing on this day, on this week. Lord, I ask for a release of dreams and of visions. Pray that my friends could see in the spirit realm like they've never seen before. Reveal yourself in new ways, in amazing ways. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? You guys have a wonderful Valentine's Day.